Good morning and welcome to this week's episode of The Scots in Us. I'm delighted this week that we're able to join Alex Lindsay, a photographer, filmmaker and dear friend that is now living back in Scotland, having had a short sojourn in New York. But we need to have a catch up and find out what's been going on, as he now has just opened a new exhibit in London that we hope will be making its way across the pond shortly. So, Alex, good morning. Good. Well, good morning, New York. Yes, good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, you have had a love of film and photography all your life. But could you introduce everybody to your work and your journey and how this all came about and what inspired you to this next stage that you've been on recently? Of course, yes, yes, I have loved photography and film all my life. And it started, I think when I was 16, a lady photographer, I think she was working for National Geographic and she came to visit us in Scotland and I became her assistant for a few days. And I fell in love with her Nikon cameras, beautiful cameras. And I just helped her for a few days, lugging the stuff around. And, uh, and then somebody saw my interest, actually a New Yorker, and sent me a book by Ansel Adams, Landscape Photographs, which I still have prominently on my collection wall. And that the, the, the marriage between what a photograph can be, the technical fun of it, I love gear and equipment and gadgets, and suddenly was married to what an emotional effect a, pho a good photograph can have. And that sent me on my way. And I never went to university. I, I went up to Rochester Institute of Technology, the greatest photography college in the world, I'm sure it still is, next to Kodak, and uh, and just got into it. And I, I didn't stay the whole four years. I, I um, did a year, and I knew I wanted to get into journalism, real documentary photography, and uh, had an opportunity to work in Tanzania, spent a year there, ended up with the Maasai tribe for six months living in a tribe in, in, a, in their Boma system. And, uh, and, but at the time, the sort of photography I was interested in, journalism, reportage, was not in its best phase. In fact, the color supplements were very much in the decline. So this is in, you know, early 80s. And I actually was, I didn't see a very good future as a business in that. I mean, it's an exciting thing to do, but definitely the magazines were in decline. Television was taking them over. And uh, um, at this point, could we take a second to look at some of those wonderful images from Tanzania? Because yes. that really yeah, shows such a progression. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. And I'm actually, because I'm going through a process of scanning all my old work, and I've, I've actually looked at them for the first time in, in decades. And uh, they were shot on Kodachrome, and the colours are absolutely perfect, which is nice to see. And uh, and they, they come out well scanned, so definitely we, we, we can uh, look at those. And uh, But I was 23 years old, and not quite having figured out quite which route I was going to go. And I was offered to 
shoot news footage in Afghanistan and uh, combat footage, basically. And the Russians had invaded in 79. And in 94, I set off for Peshawar and Afghanistan. I had a Super 8 movie camera. I had a bag of film, some contacts, and uh, I think they paid quite well, 3,000 pounds or something, which seemed a fortune at the time. And I was just told to get combat footage of what the Russians were doing. And that uh, set me off on um, basically my film career, documentary career. I ended up for five years in Afghanistan or focused on the Russian invasion. I went from the Mujahideen side. We shot a film for the BBC it, with the Mujahideen in Kandahar. Very exciting. That's living in a city with the Russians within listening distance. We used to go to the Russian post and listen to the Russian, just for fun. And, uh, uh, you know, fairly hair-raising, lots of uh, contact, combat situations. And in between, I uh, got very involved in the shipwreck of the Titanic. And that's where we met. I moved to New York for six years and uh, in, I became part of the salvage operation and I was in charge of the filming and the photography of the Titanic shipwreck and even going inside the shipwreck at one point, which was uh, quite something and a unique experience. So Alex, having just come through doing the Titanic, you've gone off to do the Gulf Wars. What then happened that made you turn to putting these wonderful mammoth photographs together and the exhibits that have been ensuing? With that project on hold, um, I thought, oh, what a bore. And uh, I, what I really want is an underwater ocean desolation, but on dry land. And I headed off to the Atacama Desert of Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia. In Bolivia, they call it the the Altiplano. In, in Argentina, it's the Puna. And in Chile, it's the Atacama. But it's basically the same uh, uh, geographical region. And I did an eight-month expedition doing this photography that I now specialize in, which is um, multiple images, up to 200, actually, or more, 250 or so, separate high resolution still photographs to create a single image. And um, so that started in South America on the expedition from the salt lakes of Bolivia all the way down actually through Patagonia. And I ended up on a fishing boat, a, a king crab, a, cent, uh, a centoya, they call it in South America, but a king crab fishing boat around Cape Horn photographing Cape Horn and the Beagle and Magellan Straits and uh, so on and so forth. And this was, I really wanted to create uh, photographs which were of incredible technical quality and resolution. And, and they are. To, they're yeah, they are. fabulous. <laughs> they're yeah. so vibrant and they're mammoth. And they can be mammoth. I don't want to 
put everyone in the feeling that all I do is mammoth because they look <laughs> good in a more reasonable scale. And uh, but yeah, I like to make prints three meters wide. That's very normal, and a meter and a half tall. So the, and they're all mounted on aluminium. And they, they, it, there's, I mean, when you see a great landscape in front of you, very, it's quite hard to take a sort of picture click and for that picture to convey really what you saw. And so the purpose of putting in all this effort, and it's a huge sort of sort of operation really from beginning to end, it's infinitely harder than last summer. I took over an incredible building. It was just here in Fife, uh, uh, very close to us. And it is it's basically an aircraft hangar sized building 45 meters by 25, eight meters tall. And I used, uh, it was actually half a mile of steel cable to suspend 55 monster prints from the ceiling. And there was a picture eight meters wide there. Um, but that was basically filling up a large aircraft hangar. And uh, so I, you know, I, I Yes, I've, I've looked for unusual spaces, but have been very happily exhibited in small galleries and, um, you know, all and sorts of things. And then fitted into small apartments, big places, whatever. So it's a, a bit But mixed. we're also looking and hoping that we can help bring you across here. Um, yes. And uh, because I think it'd be wonderful to, um, now that we're through COVID, God willing, Yes. Um, that we that you start to be um, uh, over here a little bit more and um, showing your work more. Well, but, uh, yeah, New York. I'd love to show in New York, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a great history and tradition of photography and America and the landscape. It's huge in 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 the photographic history. America punches, you know, very. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's has a fantastic history of landscape photography Edward from Western. the early days, from the, the early, early days, and but continuing yeah. right up until now. Um, and uh, I th you know, I think in the states, uh, well, I remember when I was young and in the early late seventies, early eighties, there was one one gallery in Britain that showed photographs. There was the Photographers Gallery in London. And I went to my first time in New York, I was 19, I think, and there were like 30 galleries. And uh, so there was a huge difference in how photography was treated really in the United States as opposed to Britain particularly. But um, so yes, I'd love to show in New York. Well, I think that we need you over here and we need to see what we can do to help. But this morning, thank you for introducing us to your work. Um, and we need to zero in on some of the projects next time that we talk. Um, we really would love to maybe visit your studio and um, see uh, the process a little bit more and catch up with you in that way, if that was all right. Fantastic. We're actually in my workshop now. I don't know if I can even move the camera, but um, this is kind of a rabbit's den warren of equipment Whoa. And, okay. uh, 
anyway, there's the big printer back there. It's the big, biggest printer Epson make. And um, yeah, so I, I, I love printing actually. That's <laughs> the, it's a, Half the job really is, is to make sure it ends up on, on paper the way you I can't it. believe how you take so many images and then match them together to make this one great image. That's really yes, astounding. It's interesting. It is, it can be unbelievably frustrating. <laughs> uh, uh, and actually it sort of limits oneself in, in ways that it gives one freedom. I don't really think of a rectangle as being given to me. I choose where I want the landscape, basically a top left corner, bottom right corner. That's totally my decision. And I can do that by with this technique. But an awful lot of things can go wrong and do go wrong. It can be very frustrating. And especially in Scotland, I basically the pandemic years have all been out of Hebrides. I was a, a week on St Kilda uh, recently, this last uh, May. And um, Scotland has this unbelievable turbulent weather everything is moving and changes every two minutes and i kind of like a good couple of minutes when nothing moves but that can be very hard to find and um so but that's what makes scotland it's such an exciting country to photograph in it's, it really is thrilling so i've loved the last three years uh working up here and it's it's transcendentally beautiful i don't i mean i've been to amazing, amazing parts of the world. Nothing is more beautiful than Scotland. And it's the only place I've actually been driving. I was leaving Harris to catch the early ferry. And I was driving up the east coast of Harris and looking out over the Sheerns and sky and all of that. And it was so magnificent, the view, that I thought if I continued driving, I really would crash. And so I, I was forced, I just had to stop the car and just, just, days in wonder it was uh, absolutely magnificent and uh so this this country is very very special well we've got a, a program coming up in a few weeks of harris um oh, yes. Indian islands so maybe you can join us and um share oh. some landscapes with us as we meet other characters of the islands um yes. and and go from there but we um, thank you for joining us today. We could go to keep on talking for hours. And um, but we will speak again very soon. And people in the meantime can go to your website to learn yes. more. And that is at it's Alexander hyphen Lindsay L I N D S A Y dot com version and yes when they go there they'll they'll get details of the current show it's in mayfair in london very beautifully hung and that sort of the moment they go to the website they get news on that the stephen ongpin fine art gallery and, uh, go and see it. it it closes february 26th all right but then they can still keep in touch with you via the website absolutely absolutely yes. see okay. you soon alex thank Take you care. thank you so much bye bye, bye. I'm very pleased that we're able to join Dr. Patricia Allerton, who is the Deputy Director and Chief Curator for the European and Scottish Art at the National Galleries of Scotland. And she also has another role at the moment. She's the co-director of the Scottish National Gallery's Expansion Project.
project. It's a capital project that's been underway for several years. And I hope during this initial talk with her, she's going to share some news of how that is coming along, as well as background into the wonderful National Galleries of Scotland. And so, Patricia, good morning. Good morning. Delighted to be here. It's afternoon here in Edinburgh, but it's a sunny afternoon. It's beautiful. Could we begin by speaking about the history to the National Galleries and how it has developed to this point? Because it's really been um, growing and growing tentacles over the last few years as more and more works have wanted to have needed to be shown. Yes, of course. Um, well, the gallery was opened in the mid 19th century. Um, and at that time, it was very much, in a sense, a declaration of intent um, to create a wonderful building that would hold um, the National Collection of Scotland. So there was always an ambition to have a great collection of art that was at the time a mixture of both, both what they called ancient art or old master art and modern art, which was at that time mostly British art. Um, so when we first opened the building, we actually didn't have a collection. We only had, I think, about three or four works that actually belonged to us. Um, we were lent a lot. We borrowed a lot. Um, and since then, really in the early 20th century, uh, the history of, of the National Galleries of Scotland has been of developing its collections and strength and breadth and depth. Um, by the early 20th century, it had grown so much that we didn't have room anymore in the building to share it with our um our colleagues at the Royal Scottish Academy. So they moved next door and we took over the whole building uh, and remodeled it at that time so that it would, in a sense, work as one building. Um, and really, uh, since the 1950s, since after the Second World War, the story has always been of steady growth of a wonderful collection, occasionally quite large numbers of works coming in. Um, and over time, how do we accommodate them? And um, Really, I suppose the history since the Second World War was of a, a fantastically developing European collection. So uh, post-impressionist old master paintings. We were incredibly lucky to be lent one of the top private collections of art in the world, the Bridgewater Collection that came in right at the end of the Second World War. Um, and over time, I think in, in, in a rather surprising way, the Scottish collection was um, increasingly moved around the building to accommodate these works by um, European artists over the ages. So where we are now, we're building a, a fabulous wing for our Scottish collection and it will be an integral part of the building. It won't seem like you're going into a different part. It will be an integral part, but it will give us space finally to, um, to really accommodate this fabulous collection, which ultimately makes up about half of the National, uh, National Galleries of Scotland's collection as a whole. The gallery is so beautifully situated in the gardens and right on the, in the middle and heart of Edinburgh for me. And the architecture of how you brought in a, a contemporary modern feel to the first stage of what's been happening is fabulous. So I believe you've got a film um, could we take a look at that at this point and see, and maybe as you go along, you could tell us a little bit more about it? Yes, uh, there was a fly through that was made and it was based on the uh, architect's designs. We're working with Hoskins Architects in Glasgow um, and also the exhibition designer. So the outside, it's all based on real plans of things that are happening. So it's sort of built on them. 
So it's very much a good reflection of what is coming. Um, and every time we, we did some work outside the building uh, to start with, and we opened that up, and it was really satisfying to see the movement from these visuals, which are all digital visuals, into a reality. It's, it's each time we've been thrilled by the way um, the, the juxtaposition from, from unreal to real has happened. So we're very excited about that happening inside. So yes, the, the film, uh, which was made uh, in a 2019, um, takes you into the building and takes you around. Thank you. So let's take a look. great film. It's going to be a very exciting time in these next few weeks. Thank you, Patricia, for sharing that. But in the meantime, the galleries are busy. You have exhibits and various things coming up. And when we were talking earlier, you were mentioning how Henry Rayburn's, um, it, there is going to be a summer exhibit around him. And of course, we will have the International Festival, which you were one of the curating partners for. So could you speak a little bit to what's coming up in the following months around some of the exhibits? Uh, yes, I mean, we're, we're rehanging some of our international works at the gallery. That's going to always popular when they're um, put out. But in the summer, we have um, we always have a major exhibition during the festival. It, it's a really a great time, time for us to showcase um, Scottish artists, international artists, uh, we, we usually have a big exhibition and this year uh, we've announced a, a major Grayson Perry retrospective. So I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with Grayson Perry, he's a British contemporary artist, 
Um, he's massive, globally massive. He's just had a big exhibition in Oslo in the new, uh, wonderful new museum in, in Norway, in, in um, the capital city there. So um, he's British and he's, we're very lucky to be hosting and organizing his first retrospective in his in Britain, in his native country. So uh, this is going to be a big thing in our biggest venue, the Royal Scottish Academy building, which is, is huge, it's beautiful. Um, so that will be very different to the project I'm working on because it's contemporary, but it's interesting because Grayson Perry works in quite traditional art forms. He makes big pots, he, he does these very funny pots, um, tapestries, uh, he, he works in a range of three-dimensional, two-dimensional ways, printmaking. So in some ways, his art talks to the, the older Scottish art and uh, European art that we have at the National, uh, but it takes it in a completely modern and contemporary direction. So that's a big show for us, and that opens just before the festival and goes on afterwards longer. Great. Um, we're also looking forward at, at our Gallery of Modern Art. We have um, an exhibition we're opening in April, but we're anticipating that the festival audiences will um, flock to see it as well, because a lot of people come just for the festival. That's an exhibition of a Barbadian Scottish artist called Alberta Whittle. Um, and she, um, in a way like Grayson Perry, deals with important subjects and encourages you to think about them, but does it in a completely different way. Um, and she is very interested in the tough, uh, subjects of um, colonialism, the brutality of the transatlantic uh, system of enslavement, um, but encourages you to think and stop and in a very compassionate and caring environment, um, think about these big issues. So that's at our Gallery of Modern Arts. We have two contemporary shows of top uh, British artists uh, in a sense that we're showcasing during the International Festival. Well, that's so there's so much going to be going on in all the different aspects of the galleries that if we could revisit with you in June, July, ahead of the festival, um, that would be wonderful because that will also help people as they plan their visit to Edinburgh to know that they need to spend a day with you. It really is so much to see. It really is. It's wonderful. So thank you for introducing us to the galleries, to all that's coming up. Can't wait to see the new extension um, and, so, and see behind the walls. But thank you for giving us a glimpse of what's happening. And for people who'd like to get involved, they can become a member of the American patrons of the National Galleries and Libraries. And they can visit your website as well to learn more and to keep up to date. So we will share all of that with everybody and look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks very much. And, and on our website, for those of you who are familiar, if you are familiar with it, we've recently launched a new hub, which shows um, it's in the project pages, the Scottish National Gallery project pages, but it gives an idea of many different aspects of activity from conservation to learning and engagement. Uh, we've issued a whole load of new films focusing on different pictures um, in the collection and those are really great fun and then also some longer pieces of film that explore topics like the Celtic revival, the Glasgow boys, um, big big and interesting topics in, in the history of Scottish art so there's quite a lot to see and it's now much easier to find through this new part of the website. 
So thank you, Patricia, and looking forward to, to speaking again very soon. That's super great. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this program as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. The ASF Scots in Us podcasts are brought to you on the first and third Monday of the month on your favourite platform, podcast platform or YouTube or Facebook. And if you would like to learn more about the American Scottish Foundation, go to our website, americanscottishfoundation.org or email us at americanscottishfoundation at gmail.com. And so until next time. <laughs>